Talk Radio 96.7 presents Ask the Preacher. Yeah, that's how we get the weekend started around here, and we're glad that you have joined us. Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church, located in North Lakeland. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. John's out today, but sitting in is George Locke. Yip, 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 yippee! It is Friday, and it is a beautiful Friday out there. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time, all you beautiful people out there in Radioland. This is Ask the Preacher. My name is George Locke. I run a brand strategy design consultancy, uh, which is a big fancy way of saying I help businesses grow And uh, I'm also a full-time preacher. That's right. I'm full-time preaching, not because I get paid to do it, but because uh, that is who I now am. Uh, First John says that as he, referring to Christ, as he is, so are we on this present earth, this present time. So if you have received the nature of Jesus by his grace and uh, through faith, then you too are a full-time preacher. So Ask the Preacher is a call-in radio show where we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about a bunch of different topics, and uh, you can join in on the conversation. Give us your feedback, your opinions, your two cents. You can ask a question either on topic or off topic, and I will do my best to answer it with sound doctrine and scriptural references and maybe a little bit of wisdom thrown in there, too. The phone number to call in is 863-682-1430. You can also go to askthepreacher.com. That's askthepreacher.com. You can check out previous uh, episodes. You can find the phone number there and some other information. Whew. All right. That was a that was a mouthful. But we got through it, and we're getting ready to kick off this program. And, man, there's a lot going on. You know, we do Ask the Preacher on Friday at the end of the week when there's just a billion different news articles that come out and a billion different things we could talk about uh, in regards to current events and how it relates to our lives personally and the history of the church and potential prophecy. But John likes to do all that, and I think it's great. I'm a little bit more nerdy myself. I like to get into the deep uh, mysteries of God, as Deuteronomy calls them, the, the things that are... Maybe um, a bit harder to chew. I often like to reference the uh, take your hard-to-swallow pills and get a bottle of water ready. And we're going to do just that. I got some special guests in the studio with me today. They are two of my wonderful children. And on the way here, I asked them what we should talk about today. And they had two really good questions that we're going to start out with. The first question comes from my son Judah. And his question was, why... Were there slaves in Egypt? Why didn't the Pharaoh just not make the children of Israel slaves? And so the brief story of that, I mean, we can go and do a whole conversation about it and the great deep history of it. But the quick answer of it is this. The Pharaoh that was in Egypt was not an Egyptian. There was another country called Syria or Assyria. And it's most likely that the Pharaoh in Egypt is actually the same Pharaoh that we see later on in the story of Jonah and the whale. And that's why he was so apt at being the ruler of of, uh, 
of Nineveh, he was so apt to heed Jonah's warning because he had already been through uh, the plagues of Egypt. But the the short of it is uh, the children of Israel, they lived in Egypt for 400 years. And after 400 years, a pharaoh or a king of Egypt decided that uh, he wanted to enslave the people. How come? Because he was making bad choices. <laughs> and here's some interesting, for all you wonderful folks out there in Radioland, here's some interesting facts that relate to the United States. Did you know the United States is the only country that we know of in human history that resolved the sin of slavery by violence? You know, my favorite song in the whole world is the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And one of my favorite lines from the Battle Hymn of the Republic goes like this, As Christ died to make men holy, let us die to set them free. So slavery is a horrible thing. And the Bible has a remedy for slavery. The Bible says for every seven years, at the seventh year, there's what's called the year of Jubilee. It's when all the slaves are set free because God doesn't really like involuntary slavery. And maybe we'll talk a bit more about the depths of slavery and how we are willing slaves of Christ now. And what's interesting, you know, I'm just going to go on this real quick. I watched a movie um, that I did not think I would like. I actually encourage everybody who's an adult to watch the movie. It has Will Smith in it. It just came out. It's called Emancipation. And it's actually really well done. Uh, I think it's a fantastic story of how the nation paid for the sin of slavery with blood, the only nation in human history to do so. And what's inspiring about this story was the character's unwavering faith in God and how this historical, uh, Fiction. I mean, it's it's about a real uh, man who was really enslaved, but they take some artistic liberties. But his faith never wavered, and it's a really great movie that I would encourage everybody to watch. It's called Emancipation. It's pretty good. But what's great is we are now slaves to Christ. I mean, you're going to be slaves to somebody. You're either going to be an involuntary slave to your own selfish lusts and desires, and ultimately, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you will be of your father, the devil, and at his will, or you will be a volunteer slave to Jesus. And what's really cool about that, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is he's a slave master like none other. As where most slave masters would beat their slaves and tear their backs apart, our slave master took those beatings for us. He had his back slashed and ripped and whipped so that our bodies could be healed. As where most slave owners would put their slaves into bondage and chain and shackle them, our slave master, Jesus, removes our heavy chains. And he says, come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my yoke, you know, the yoke is the thing that they put on ox or horses to steer them. He said, mine's easy. It's light. My burden is light. My yoke, it's easy. It's not hard for you to handle. What's really neat about that is back in the old days, they would take a young horse 
or a young ox and an old horse, and they would put them side by side. And the old horse, the workhorse, would take the heavy yoke. He would bear all of the weight. So the young horse would just learn how to walk as the old horse walked. So he would have a yoke on him, but it was a light yoke. It really didn't have any weight or consequence to it in terms of being a burden. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I've done all the work for you. I've taken the beatings for you. I've won your victory and liberty for you. Just come to me. We have a caller on the line. Jim, welcome to Ask the Preacher. What do you want to talk about? Hey, I have uh, two things. One, I have a, a comment on the uh, slavery issue uh, and kind of an answer to, to Judah's question. I don't know if it's a little too theological for him, but uh, Israel settled in Egypt, and we know that Egypt is a type of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to comment that we as God's people get comfortable in the world. We settle in the world, start assimilating to the world, uh, we will soon become slaves to the world, whether we want to or not. We'll become slaves to the world's culture, mm-hmm. the world's thinking, the world's habits, the world's desires. That's why we have to voluntarily give ourselves to Jesus, be a slave to Jesus, or a bondship to Jesus, because in that type of slavery, Jesus will set us free. Right on. The world will promise us freedom. And make a slave. Jesus says, "If you become my slave, I'll set you free." So I'm kind of—I don't know if that's too spiritual for him. <laughs> that's a—that's a great answer, way over his head. He's only five, but it is a great <laughs> answer for everybody joining in on our conversation. So, right on. And did you have a second yeah, comment or question? Uh, just a, a question. Uh, your insight on something. I'm, I'm preaching Sunday on. Uh, uh, Gospel of John, First uh, John, it said that Jesus was the, the light of life. And uh, in John chapter 1, you know, that word became flesh, dwelt among the darkness, the darkness is comprehended. So I just wanted to, your insight, give us uh, some insight on what it means that Jesus was the light of life. Okay. Well, man. That's a great question, and we could probably speak about six hours on that. Here's my first two thoughts. One is, uh, well, both of them are based in science. I think most people would, would, would take the obvious uh, metaphor of he illuminates the darkness. He reveals the secret sins of our, of our lives. He helps us to walk. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. John 1.1 1, 1 says that the word is God and it became flesh, dwelt among us, referring to Jesus. I think most people would probably understand that um, example, that metaphoric example of Jesus being the light. My other thoughts we're going to tackle right after this break. They're both based in science and probably something you never heard of before. So if you want to know how Jesus is literally the light, stay tuned to Ask the Preacher. We'll be back in just a few moments after the break. 863-682-1430. Now let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher, your weekly chance to have Bible questions answered, and it's brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. Sitting in for John? 
Here's George. Welcome back to the program, you beautiful people out there in Radioland. Hey, just a reminder, you can call in, join in on the conversation, give us your opinion, ask a question that's either on topic or off topic. The number to call in is 863-682-1430. Just before we went to break, we had a Jim call in, and uh, he had some great insights on Egypt as a... Uh, symbol, a metaphor for slavery and how we become complacent in the world. We love the things of the world and we uh, inadvertently through just the natural state of our fallen uh, sin nature, we become slaves to the world. So it's important to make ourselves uh, slaves or bond servants to Jesus. And then he asked a question about uh, a sermon he's getting ready to preach that Jesus is the uh, light of men. And he was referring to John 1 verses 4 through 9. And like I mentioned before the break, there's some pretty obvious answers that are listed directly in John 1, 4 through 9. Uh, you have other references throughout Scripture, Colossians 1, 16. Um, you have references of John where, where Jesus is speaking about being the true light. John 3, it says, uh, and this is the judgment that the light has uh, the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because of their works uh, that were evil. So Jesus again spoke and said, I am the light. And this is John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will become children of light and have the light of life. So those obvious spiritual things, Jim, are, are man, you could go for hours and hours talking about those deep spiritual things. But I want to give you two insights about how Jesus is literally, scientifically, the light of life. So two things. One, Colossians 3 tells us that through him, Jesus, all things were made. And without him, nothing could be made, everything that was visible and invisible. And so here's something really interesting from science that we've learned recently from quantum mechanics. Again, I'm a nerd. Hang in there with me, everybody. I'm going to try to break this down. Most of us know that uh, matter is made of molecules, and molecules are made of atoms, and atoms are made of electrons and protons and um, neutrons, and those items are broken down even smaller. Protons, electrons, they're broken into something called quarks. And we thought quarks were the smallest things possible until relatively recently when scientists discovered, wait a minute, no, quarks themselves are made out of light. So literally, everything in this physical world is made out of light because it's all based on that. And Jesus himself is called the light of the world, and Colossians tells us that all things have their being through him. So that's a pretty interesting thing. And then the second thing that really strikes out to me is the moment of conception. When a, let's be adults for a moment, when a man and a woman uh, I got my kids in the studio. I got to be careful with this. Oh boy, I don't need a five and seven year old asking these questions. But basically, when a uh, sperm penetrates the egg at the moment of conception, a zinc barrier is broken. And there's video evidence of this. You can go on YouTube and look it up. When the sperm penetrates the egg, a zinc barrier is broken, and at the moment of conception, when all the DNA that makes you you comes together, there is a literal spark of light. 
And what's interesting about that is one day I was walking with my wife at, at Disney World uh, and I was carrying a backpack on my back and I was like, man, this is this is pretty easy. It's a very heavy backpack and it's pretty easy. She was pregnant at the time with one of our kids. I don't know which one. She's like, yeah, I tried carrying it in the front. And so I did. And I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. It's really difficult to carry this weight on the, the front. I, I wonder why God made it that way. Why did God uh, allow it so that babies are carried in the front instead of in the back? And, you know, there's some obvious logistical reasons for that. I mean, if you're sitting, then, you know, the baby's on the back, then that's not good. But beyond that, the Holy Spirit revealed to me, he said, well, we're not just physical beings. We are bodies, souls, and spirits. You, listening to this program right now, you have three parts that are all equally you. You have a physical body, you have your emotions, your soul, and then you have your spirit, your decision uh, factory, your will. All three of them are equally you. But because we're not just physical beings that have a soul and, and no spirit, we have to be developed and we have to be created where spirits dwell. And the Bible makes it pretty obvious. It says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living waters. And it goes to talk about the inward man, which is in our bellies. That's where our spirits reside. I mean, according to the Bible, just giving you what the Bible says. And so when life begins at conception and that spark literally happens in the womb, your spirit is also being created. He's forming you in the womb, just as um, Jeremiah tells us. And so it's pretty interesting that, um, you know, Job says, you know, you, you knew me in my mother's womb, and, and he does, because he's the light of life who literally sparks at the moment of conception. And that, you know, in, in the 1800s, our, our great sin of the nation was enslaving men, and making them less than what they were. And now we have a, an equally or possibly, arguably, a worse sin that we're dealing with, which is the murder of babies in the womb. You are 100% a human when that sperm penetrates the zinc membrane of the egg and the spark of life literally happens. It's on video. You become a human. So we need to deal with that as a nation. You are listening to Ask the Preacher. Phone number to call in and have your questions answered or join us in the conversation is 863-682-1430. Don't be sad. We're coming right back after this break. We'll see you in just a few moments. Now let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher. Let's get our Bible questions answered. It's brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. John Freed's our host, but sitting in today since he's not here is George Locke. Welcome back from the break, you beautiful people. It is great to be in studio. Hey, just a reminder, I want to throw this out there. Uh, we often talk about Bible topics here on Ask the Preacher, appropriately so, and we are doing so today, but I want to encourage you, if you own a business, if you know somebody who owns a business, if you work in a business, go to Polk Tech Solutions, Polk, like our county, techsolutions.com slash radio. We have a free gift for you to help your business succeed in the upcoming uh, economic times. Free gift. You can't give us money for it. PolkTechSolutions.com slash radio. Just before the break, uh, we were talking about light and what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of life. And it was because uh, Jim called in and had that question. I gave him two scientific um, 
reasons. And I want to give you a third, and it actually comes from a question or segues nicely into a question that my daughter had. Uh, she asked, why did God put a rainbow in the sky as a promise for Noah? Why didn't he just tell Noah? Why did there have to be a rainbow? And what's really interesting is a rainbow is a half a circle. And the half circle implies that there's another half somewhere. So if we see a half of a circle, the other half's got to be somewhere. And it is. Revelation 4, 3, it talks about how around God's throne is a rainbow. Now, I'm going to go nerdy on you. I want you to bear with me. I love these really interesting facts that just make the Bible amazing. The Bible is amazing on its own, but it just shows how amazing it is. So there are 12 stones listed in Revelation, and it says these 12 stones, and we can read all of them. Some of their names are, are pretty tough, but you got like the emerald, um, the topaz, the sapphire, the jasper. You, you have these 12 different stones that says these are what the New Jerusalem's made out of. Now, there are 12. These 12 stones are what are called isotropic uh, or I'm sorry, they're anisotropic stones. So there's anisotropic stones, and then there are isotropic stones. Now, there's something in science called cross-polarized light. It has another name called pure light. Here's what's really interesting. Jesus is the light. The New Jerusalem in Revelation says that there's no more sun because the whole city is illuminated by God himself, by Jesus, who is the light. And I would venture to say he is probably the purest of pure lights. Well, these 12 stones, when you shine pure light or cross-polarized light into them, they reflect a rainbow. A beautiful rainbow spectrum appears from these 12 stones. The other 16, which are isotropic stones, things like diamonds and ambers, things that we would consider precious, when you shine pure light through them, they turn black and they don't reflect light. So it's pretty interesting that John on the island of Patmos almost, you know, 2,000 plus years ago wrote coincidentally these 12 stones and these 12 stones reflect a rainbow, which is around God's throne, which is the other half of this circle covenant promise, and they reflect the rainbow. It's just amazing, amazing. That's about a one in 17,000 chance for him to list those 12 stones. Absolutely amazing. Uh, we could talk about that for hours, but right now we have another caller on the line. James, welcome to Ask the Preacher. How's what do you going? want to talk about? Uh, well, two items. One is the light that you're talking about and also the slavery one. Sure. Uh, the light one uh, in Genesis those famous four words, let there be light, mm -hmm. I've always wondered about something, and it made sense to me after another pastor told us to me. Um, it's verse 14, so that's the light of the sun or the reflection of the moon, light up from the moon. So that's not talking about the light there. It's glorious. It's God's glory. Let light be. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing when, he, when I heard that. I said, wait a minute, you're just talking about the embryo situation where the spark of light? Well, that light, it's like God came into a room, turned on the light, and he said, let, you know, let there be light. We don't know what light was. 
that's what I'm saying. God created light. There's no if, ands, or buts to it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, does, that, does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. And uh, there's, I got about a billion things I want to say about that, but we unfortunately don't have that much time. Well, but that's a great insight. Week. I like that. <laughs> I like that, James. And the uh, second thing was about the uh, slavery part. This is the one I, I have a problem with. I, I'll be honest. This is this is hard. I mean, in scripture where you said that uh, God knew us before we were even born. How many times have I've done things and I after. I done it. And I looked up and said, "God, I know that you knew I was going to do this before I was even born." <laughs> I mean, I'm having a conversation with God, knowing you knew I was going to do this today. Okay, I mean, if I right or wrong, yeah, no, <laughs> and talking no. with God that way, <laughs> and it's not blasphemy. It's just like God, I'm safe. I'm letting you know that God, you know that I was going to do something bad on this day. Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll hang up and listen to your response. I'm well, just well, curious. I'm, I'm is, sorry, there way, is there a way of of aligning, you know, when you're doing through slavery, we are slaves to sin, but we know that we are going to sin. But God knows that we are already going to commit that before we was even born. That's hard to grasp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a good question, and I encourage you. I don't know if you listened to last week's program, but we really talked about this uh, a lot last week, and we gave the analogy of marriage and how uh, salvation is not something we can earn. Um, Our righteousness, our good works, our trying to be holy enough for God, good enough for God, um, you know, sinless enough for God, it doesn't work that way. Um, And I I gave this analogy of my marriage. I entered into marriage with my wife one day when I declared, I am now hers, she is now mine, we are one, this is our commitment— Till death do us part. That was the beginning of our marriage. But from that moment on, to remain in the marriage, I have to daily give up who I was. I have to, as Scripture tells us, as a husband, I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church, giving myself for her, which means sacrificing my desires for her benefit. And sometimes my desires line up with what's best for her. Sometimes I got to just shut up and take out the garbage, even though I don't want to. You know what I mean? So um, when it comes to our victory in Christ, and we did talk a lot about this last week, so I'd really encourage you to go to askthepreacher.com. We spent the whole uh, hour talking about it. But the short answer of it is this, James. Hebrews tells us that he who says he's without sin is a liar. And some people don't like this term, But here's how I best relate it to myself and describe it to myself. Our sinful flesh, the physical bodies that encapsulate our spirit, uh, they are bound to the sin nature. But we can daily put to death through faith that sin nature. And yes, we will make mistakes. Just like in marriage, my wife tells me that I make mistakes. Um, but to know that God, but understanding that God knew what you was going to do before oh, yeah. you was even born, and you were going to get married and have those trials. Yeah. That's the that's the crutch of the whole thing of knowing that God knows everything. That's and, <laughs> and isn't that amazing? It is. It, that's that's the part that really does, and I I think we're we're, we're in agreement on this. It's the part that blows my mind. Yes. He knew I would still mess up. He knew that I'm learning to overcome. That I am putting 
to death the deeds of the flesh, and I'm learning to walk in the Spirit. And, you know, we talked earlier about how the yoke, it says, my, my uh, burden is easy, my yoke is light, and the more mature horse would carry all the weight of the yoke. He would take all the heavy lifting, and the young horse would just learn how to walk with a yoke on, True. so that Thanks. later that horse can, can teach others. And so um, Believer's Fellowship's verses. um Second Timothy two two, you know that you can teach others the things that you have learned, and so that's really interesting. James, thank you for the call. Yeah, thanks. I All think right. that was awesome, and and folks, the fact that we can now have freedom in Christ again, you know, going back to the slavery thing, it's it's just Jesus gives this example. He says, you know what, if you want to be first in my kingdom, you got to be last. The least will be the greatest. The greatest will be the least. Everything Jesus did was revolutionary. He flipped the whole idea. Uh, of what it means to be, you know, spiritual according to men's definition. He flipped it on its head. And even with this idea of slavery, we had to die physically in our nation's history. We had to have men sacrifice and die to set other men free. And our slave master now, Jesus, if you become his bondservant, he says, you know what? I died to set you free. I took the beatings, I took the whippings, I took all of the things that, you know, we, we imagine and we know slavery entails. He said, I took all that and I killed it. I did the work. And so we are saved by believing and trusting that he did the work. Knowing it in our heads, and again, this goes back to last week, knowing it in our heads does not make us any different than the devil himself. The devil was an eyewitness to everything Jesus did. Believing it in our hearts, trusting that Jesus made my payment personally. It's a legal transaction. And now I'm in relationship with him. He is now my master. My identity is him. That's what enters us into the relationship. And then we must learn to endure until the end. And we're going to talk about enduring to the end right after this break. You are listening to Ask the Preacher. Phone number to call in, 863-682-1430. Don't cry. We'll be back in just a few moments. We'll see you then. Fourth and final segment coming up of Ask the Preacher. Your chance to get all of your Bible questions in. And it's brought to you by Believer's Fellowship. Here's George. Welcome back from the break, you beautiful people. It is sad. This is our last segment. We only have a few moments, but I want to encourage you. We've been talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. We've been real nerdy about light. We keep having this reoccurring uh, theme of, of slavery coming up and how um, our slave master, if you identify with Christ, he has become your slave master. And we were just talking before the break about how our relationship with Jesus, uh, it starts at a moment. And again, listen to last week's episode. We talk about this for the whole hour. We go into depth, read a ton of scriptures on it. But it begins in this moment, and then the relationship continues and it grows. And I want to give one more personal analogy that I, I like to give. I have three sons. They're not triplets. They're different ages. So I have a, a baby he is equally my son. He's as much my son and has access to all of the benefits and all of the things that I own, the same as my middle son 
and my oldest son. All three are equally my sons. They are no different in how I love them. They are no different in the opportunities given to them as they are my children. However, what is different is their age. I expect more from the older one than I do from the middle. And I expect nothing from the baby. I mean, I need to feed him. I need to change him. I need to wipe his bottom. You know, there's no responsibility for him. But they're all equally my sons. And that, to me, is a good analogy of when we start the relationship, when the relationship begins, there's nothing really expected of you. You're a baby in Christ. And Paul even gives that analogy or that example that we are babes in Christ. But Paul goes on to talk about, look, you can't just stay babies. you got to get off the milk, get into the meat of the word. And just like in marriage, I can't expect to be married to my wife, a one-day commitment, and then treat her terribly every day afterwards or, you know, every other day afterwards. I have to work to be in the relationship. I didn't enter the relationship through works. I entered the relationship through my faith by becoming one with her, by uh, making my public declaration, and now I work in the relationship. And so I want to talk about this enduring to the end because it's, it's vital. The fullness of the Gentiles, the day of the Lord, the wrapping up of uh, God's timeline, it's, it's happening. And no man knows the day or the hour, but it's coming soon. And we need to do a whole segment on that and a whole show on that. But I want to give you some verses that talk about enduring to the end. And 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. What faith? Again, it's not head knowledge about who Jesus is or what Jesus did. It's faith that he is my payment. He took my sin nature and crucified it. I can now have his righteous nature. We've exchanged places, right? I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. So examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith and test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It's test yourself. Make sure that you're really in the faith. Not to beat yourself up, but to make sure you're not deceived. And it goes on. We know that God does the work, but we cooperate because you have things like 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 5, it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Again, there's that idea, the faith unto salvation, the exchange of natures ready to be revealed in the last time. Pretty straightforward. You have Romans 1, verse 17, for, the, uh, for, in the gospel, a, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So there are ways that we do cooperate, we, first of all, we abide in him. That's part of being in the relationship. That's 1 John 2, 18. It says, little children, uh, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that the Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists, where be we know that it is in the last times. And it's talking about we need to remain in him. Jesus says he is the uh, vine and, and we are his branches and we are to abide in him. John, First uh, John 2 24 through 28, let us therefore abide in him. And it goes on to talk about it. 
So I encourage you, if you have not entered into relationship with Jesus by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, do so. And from that moment on, abide in him, work in the relationship, not because it's how we earn salvation, but it's because we love him by keeping his commandments. It has been great to be with you. I enjoyed it. We had some great conversation. I encourage you to go to askthepreacher.com. Check out last week's episode. Check out this week's episode. Replay it. Go to polktechsolutions.com slash radio. It's a free gift we have for you if you are in business, if you own a business, if you're starting a business, if you know somebody who does, polktechsolutions.com slash radio. I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all until we meet next week on Ask the Preacher.